grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Jews, 
but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this he went out to the Jews and announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. The chief priests and elders accused Jesus of many things. Pilate asked him, don't you hear how many things they are accusing you of? Jesus gave no answer. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't, aren't you going to answer? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, and to the great amazement of the governor. The chief priests and elders insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. This is the word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is well recorded in the book of Mark, chapter 11, and it will be selected verses all around the fig tree. The next day after they had set out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. When he saw a fig tree and leaf in the distance, he went to see if he might find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, since it was not the season for figs. Jesus said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered down to the roots. Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus replied, have faith in God. Amen, I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I can ask, honestly say that as I was studying this text, I was wondering, I don't know if I've ever had a fig. And then I remembered, well, does fig Newton count? Because I remember Grandma and Grandpa having those and and so that's the closest I've ever come to eating figs. 
So I've never been one to go and, and take a fig from a fig tree and, and enjoy its sweetness. But Jesus did. In fact, we're told that when he came to the fig tree in our lesson before us, it all happened on the next day. The day before, Jesus had actually rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. It was Palm Sunday. He was riding on a donkey, remember, a baby donkey. And as he rode into Jerusalem, people were putting their palm branches and, and their cloaks down and, and giving Jesus the royal treatment. Now, we would say that Jesus riding a donkey could easily be seen as he was coming with great humility. But keep in mind that Jesus is the son of David. And the royal animal of David was actually the donkey. He put Solomon on his donkey and had him ride around Jerusalem, showing that he was the next king of Israel. So it is not surprising that people would, who know those stories would make a, a connection. In fact, they were praising Jesus, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Hosanna to the son of David. After Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he will say a prayer concerning Jerusalem, a prayer that, in fact, really pierces one's heart when you hear Jesus speaking about how if they just knew who was coming to them, and oh, how they killed the prophets of long ago. In fact, before Jesus actually left Jerusalem for the evening, he will actually go into the temple area. He will look around and then leave. He goes about two miles away to the town of Bethany, and many believe that he probably ended up at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus for they were from Bethany as well. The next day, Jesus is now coming to Jerusalem, and he will be heading to the temple. In fact, the next two days, he will be preaching and teaching at the temple. On his way, we're told that Jesus was hungry. Clearly, must not have had breakfast. And so, on the, the way to Jerusalem, Jesus sees a fig tree, and it was full of leaves. So he went to that tree to find something to eat. If it's full of leaves, that means that tree is not dead. It is very much alive. And yet we're told here that it was not the season for figs. So when Jesus looks up into the tree and finding no fruit, he condemns it. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Even Peter made the connection that Jesus had just cursed the tree. But why? Many believe that since it wasn't the season of figs, therefore Jesus is, almost sounds like he's out of line. How can you curse something that can't produce something? I don't see those words. It was not the season for figs, meaning that this was a time of no figs, but rather it was not the season of figs in the sense of it was not harvest time. For if it was harvest time, well then you would expect no figs in the tree. This was before harvest. 
figs in that tree and growing to be ready for harvest. But he found none. And so he cursed the tree. How we understand these words is we do have to be careful. We are told that Jesus is hungry and the first thing that you're tempted to maybe think, it sounds like he's kind of hangry, both hungry and angry. And therefore, he took it out on the tree. Once again, that's not what actually happened. The key to understanding this verse are these words. And his disciples were listening. It tells us that what Jesus did was actually an object lesson, like a children's sermon. Because these same disciples that are listening are also the same ones that are now going to listen and see what Jesus is about to do. For when he goes into Jerusalem, he heads to the temple. Now the temple area was made up of three courts. There was a smaller court, that was the court for the Jewish men, and that was close to the temple. There was another court, that was the court for the Jewish women, also not far from the temple. Furthest away from the temple, and the largest of all the courts, was actually called the court of the Gentiles. And each of the courts, the purpose was for worship and prayer. But in the court of the Gentiles, which was the largest of the courts, it actually turned into a marketplace. Yes, travelers were coming from afar, and you bought your sacrifices there, but there was, seems to be a lot of wheeling and dealing and exchanging of money and, and perhaps even some scams. And Jesus, seeing all this, confesses that this is a place of prayer, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. He flips over the money changer tables. He, he opens up the animals to let them out. He drives the money changers out of the temple court because it really should have all been done outside, not at a place of worship and a place where all people could come. This is actually the second time that Jesus will flip over these money changer tables. He actually did it about three years before, early in his ministry. We can see it all came back again. Now compare this to that fig tree. What Jesus witnessed was a lot of leaves, a lot of worshipers, a lot of people who were, were there and, and were supposed to be giving glory to God. But instead, they had no fruit, and certainly no fruit of faith. They were like hypocrites, pretending to be worshipers and believers, but their hearts were far from the Lord. They went through the motions, but it was not pleasing to God at all. I've been asked over the or I've asked people over the years, how are you saved? And it's interesting all the different replies you get back. But the one that always gets me, and i got to honestly say, the one I probably hear the most, is when people reply, well, I'm saved because I went to church. 
And yet, that's not what saves you. Many believe that, that if I keep going to church and do all that churchly stuff, well, then God's going to be pleased with me and take me to heaven. I earned it. And yet, the only way we can be saved is in Christ Jesus alone. Jesus, who is that king who rode into Jerusalem when the people yelled that he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord and blessed and Hosanna to the son of David, they were hitting the nail on the head. He truly was. But a king who came and defeated our enemies. And in order to defeat our enemies, he would have to do what no other king could do. He would fight the battle with his perfect life and with his sacrifice on the cross. He would conquer sin because he won for us the forgiveness of sins. He would conquer death because after his suffering and death on the cross, he rose again and defeated death and said, because I live, you too shall live. This is the very Lord who won for us heaven. His ascension into heaven came with the words that he would return again. But he's going to prepare a place. And when he returns, you will be with him. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the only way to be saved. In Christ Jesus alone. And through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we are not saved by just simply going to church. Going through the motions. And it's true of even offerings. We don't earn God's favor because we put a bunch of money in the collection plate. We do everything out of love for him who saved us. And isn't that a thankful love? So what's really at the heart of worship? Jesus Christ. And in connection with that, faith. Interesting that in responding to or to Peter concerning the tree being weathered, withered from the roots, Jesus would say, "Have faith in God." Amen. I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, "Be lifted up and thrown into the sea," and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. He compares faith to like the moving of mountains. He speaks of this mountain. Well, the mountain outside of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. It had the garden Gethsemane on it. That's where Jesus is going to be arrested, betrayed by Judas. This is where he prays. And remember, he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. As he faced not just arrest, but even execution. And then the sea? Well, if you go west, you end, up, you end up at the Mediterranean Sea. It is the largest sea on the planet. If you go east, you throw the mountain there, you end up in the Dead Sea, also called the Salt Sea. Both of them are great distances from Jerusalem. So a faith that could, that could throw 
a mountain that far? The truth is, is faith in and of itself can't do that. It is God who does that. It is God who has the almighty power. It is God who can do the impossible. And faith clings to that truth and holds on to that truth. Even our salvation is God doing the impossible when he gave his life for the sins of the world. And in that sense, faith moves mountains. And not only faith, but he says something very similar concerning prayer. Now, prayer doesn't produce faith. Faith actually produces prayer. You see, prayer is a fruit of faith. And concerning prayer, this heart-to-heart -heart talk with God, Jesus said, therefore I tell you, everything you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Prayer in and of itself does not have any power, but prayer with a believing heart in God who can hear and answer our prayers is where the power of prayer comes from. And when it comes to prayer, forgiveness. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Immediately I think of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He doesn't say, forgive us our sins as God would forgive us, but rather forgive, Lord, as I would forgive. Jesus had taught this to the disciples a number of times. If you're holding a grudge and getting even and hating and want to seek revenge and you're refusing to forgive, your Father won't forgive you. That's why we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Not just because we forgive someone have we earned and deserve forgiveness, but it's purely by the grace and mercy of God that we forgive. But when it comes to prayer, the Lord tells us to forgive. Not holding the grudge, not getting even, not hating, and not seeking revenge. Oh, how relationships could be saved today if we would simply forgive one another. Faith, prayer, forgiveness. Do you realize what these all equal? Worship. We're back to worship again. That worship isn't simply uh, going through the motions. Worship isn't simply turning the church into a business with all its programs and, and we're going to expand our programs by collecting the money. Oh, it's so tempting to think that Boy, if we could just have more money, if we could just make more money, then we could do more church work. When in actuality, church work is not about money. Money is a blessing. It comes from the Lord. We use it in connection to the ministry, but our ministry is not money. Our ministry is growing in his holy word and sharing that holy word with others. So as we continue with this Lenten season, we do so with always repentant hearts 
that is certainly, certainly sorry for one's sins, but above all, a heart that has faith in all God has done for us. So we walk, seeing Jesus' final steps, which led to a fig tree. And thank you, God, for blessing not only your disciples at that time, but blessing your disciples today with this beautiful, beautiful object lesson. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.